0: Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week, we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode twenty-four with Joseph Marcos and Joseph Beaven. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. Hello listeners, I'm flying solo this week because Makos is in Cleveland at the Bound Art Book and Zine Fair, which started Friday. It's still going on today, so if you're in Ohio, I recommend you go check out the Art Book and Zine Publishers out there at the Museum of Contemporary Art, and maybe you can even say hello to my co-host while you're there. I thought today that I'd talk about John Ashbery. As you probably heard, uh, John passed away earlier this week at his home in Hudson, New York. He's 90 years old, and it's always a little sad when a poet that you love passes away. But it's hard to come up with more than a handful of poets who created as significant a body of work and left as big a mark on poetry as John Ashbery did. One of the things I always found the most amazing about Ashbery is how he could always keep his feet firmly planted in an ancient tradition of poetry that stretched out behind us, but at the same time be ready to rip up all those pages if there is any possibility of doing something new. It's a great irony that for a poet who was criticized as being obscure and impossible to understand and hopelessly modern, that he ended up being one of the most venerable grand dames of poetry, which pretty much everybody in the establishment could agree on, was unassailable as far as a poet. And I'm sure that on some level, that probably horrified Ashbery that that's how it all worked out. What I'd really like to do in this podcast is just kind of take you on a tour through some of my favorite Ashbery poems, which is admittedly idiosyncratic. I probably like some elements of Ashbery that would be considered kind of some of the backwaters of his work, but there's no better way I can think of looking back at Ashbery than to just read some of his poetry with you and and think about it a little bit. So, if I look at the bookshelf of poetry next to my bed right now, and the top shelf, it's in alphabetical order, so sandwiched in between Louis Aragon and Faridu Dinatar is my John Ashbery section. And it takes up almost a full two shelves on the bookshelf there. And it's really just kind of staggering the output of John Ashbery through the course of his life. Not just that he wrote so much, but the bulk of it is so good and so challenging and so profound and silly and really sincere and humble and self-deprecating and okay with failing and just really the full gamut of what you want poetry to be. My favorite poetry collection of Ashbery has always been The Tennis Court Oath, which I think was the second book that he published in 1962. And I like what uh, John says about it in this interview that he gave with John Tranner from Jacket Magazine. Tranner says to him, I think it interested a lot of readers because it was hard to read. Would you like to talk about how you came to write that? Ashbery says, it antagonized a lot of readers. My first book had very little success. It only got a few reviews, and the only favorable one was written by Frank O'Hara, which was very decent of him, considering the circumstances of the publication, which I just narrated. Oh, I guess we should say he's referring there to the fact that his first book, Some Trees, was selected for the Yale Younger Poets Prize, which, uh, which Auden was judging that year. But Neither he or Ashbury originally entered the contest. Auden didn't like any of the entries. And I forget who it was, but someone suggested to O'Hara and Ashbury that they should they should submit their manuscripts after the fact, so because of that. And Auden later said, or or we find out, didn't really like either O'Hara or Ashbury's manuscripts that much but he was worried that he wasn't going to get paid if he didn't pick a manuscript, so he went with Ashbury's Some Trees. So that's what he's talking about there. Now back to what Ashbury was saying. By the time it appeared, talking about Some Trees, I was already living in France, so if there was any uh, feedback to be had, I wasn't getting it. It seemed to me that my book had fallen into a bottomless pit and that I'd never have another chance to publish another book of poems. And I was also rather interested in trying something new, and having difficulty in doing this, living in a country where the language spoken was not my own, and I began a lot of experiments using collage techniques, especially from American and English books and magazines, perhaps to feel that I had a toehold in the English language. These were experiments, which I thought would perhaps lead to something but I didn't really intend them to be finished poems. I didn't at that point know how to write a finished poem in the way that I felt I had done so before, at least in the new way that I wanted to write, and quite unexpectedly, I had an opportunity to publish another volume, so I used what I had. My attention was to be after kind of taking language apart so I could look at the pieces that made it up. I would eventually get around to putting them back together again, and would then have more knowledge of how they work together. My idea probably was, well, if nobody's listening, then why not go ahead and talk to myself and see what I get out of it? So, this is a real experimental work, and I think it was really a turning point and so important for everything Ashbery did afterwards. And I just love it. It's just so inventive and wonderful and... It's there's very few things like this in existence of poetry. Uh, the critical reaction to this book, to the tennis court oath, was fairly hostile. The little bit of it that there was, I don't think it got a ton of reviews. But but, but what, what it did was not was not so positive. Harold Bloom called it an outrageously disjunctive volume. Flawed because Ashbery attempted too massive a swerve away from the ruminative continuities of Stevens and Whitman. And I think even, you know, today, a lot of people look at it as not one of Ashbery's best works. I think when I say that it's my favorite book, a lot of people kind of look at me sideways. The one exception was the language poets who really kind of looked at uh, The Tennis Court Oath as a touchstone, and it was really influential for a lot of them. And they really just kind of recognize the way that it's building meaning through ambiguity and the overheard and the accidental and inevitable poetry of those things in the social reality of the everyday and how there's an irony there at the same time and just the humor and pathos carried all along with it. So I'd really just like to look at one of these poems here uh, and, and just let you let you experience it for yourself. So I love so many poems in this book. I really like the title poem, and I recommend you go back and read it, the tennis court oath itself. But maybe one of my favorite poems in the book is "How much longer will I be able to inhabit the divine sepulcher?" So let's take let's hear that one now. How much longer will I be able to inhabit the divine sepulchre? How much longer will I be able to inhabit the divine sepulchre of life, my great love? Do dolphins plunge bottomward to find the light, or is it rock that is searched? Unrelentingly, huh? And if someday men with orange shovels come to break open the rock which encases me, what about the light that comes in then? What about the smell of the light what about the moss in pilgrim times he wounded me since then i only lie my bed of light is a furnace choking me with hell and sometimes i hear salt water dripping i mean it because i'm one of the few to have held my breath under the house i'll trade one red sucker for two blue ones i'm named tom The light bounces off mossy rocks, down to me in this glen, The neat villa, which, when he'd had, he would not had, he held, And jests under the smarting of privet, Which on hot spring nights perfumes the empty rooms With the smell of sperm flushed down toilets. On hot summer afternoons, within sight of the sea, If you knew why then, professor, reads to his friends, Drink to me only with and the reader is carried away by a great shadow under the sea. Behind the steering wheel, the boy took out his own forehead. His girlfriend's head was a green bag of Narcissus stems. Okay, you win, but meet me anyway at Cohen's Drugstore in 22 minutes. What a marvel is ancient, man. Under the tulip roots, he has figured out a way to be a religious animal and would be a mathematician. But where, in unsuitable heaven, can he get the heat that will make him grow? For he needs something, or will forever remain a dwarf, though a perfect one, and possessing a normal-sized brain, but he's got to be released by giants from things. And as the plant grows older, it realizes it will never be a tree, will probably always be haunted by a bee and cultivate stupid impressions so as not to become part of the dirt. The dirt is mounting like a sea, and we say goodbye, shaking hands in front of the crashing of waves that give our words lonesomeness and make these flabby hands seem ours. Hands that are always writing things on mirrors for people to see later. Do you want them to water, plant, tear listlessly among the exchangeable ivy, carrying food to mouth, touching genitals, but no doubt you have understood it all now, and I am a fool. It remains for me to get better, and to understand you, so like a chair-sized man, boots were heard on the floor above, in the garden the sunlight was still purple, but what buzzed in it had changed slightly, but not forever, but casting its shadow on sticks and looking around for an opening in the air was quite as if it had never refused to exist differently. Guys in the yard handled the belt he had made, stars painted the garage roof crimson and black. He is not a man who can read these signs. His bones were stays and even refused to live in a world and refunded the hiss of all that exists terribly near us, like you my love, and light. For what is obedience but the air around us to the house, for which the federal men came in a minute after the sidewalk had taken you home? Latin blossom, after which you led me to water and bade me drink, which I did, owing to your kindness. You would not let me out for two days and three nights, bringing me books bound in wild thyme and scented wild grasses, as if reading had any interest for me. You, now you're laughing. Darkness interrupts my story. Turn on the light. Meanwhile, what am I going to do? I am growing up again in school. The crisis will be very soon. And you twist the darkness in your fingers, you who are slightly older. Who are you anyway? And it is the color of sand, the darkness, as it sists through your hand. Because what does anything mean? The ivy in the sand, that boat pulled up on the shore. Am I wonder, strategically? and in the light of the long sepulcher that hid death and hides me. Another funny thing about the collection is, the cover of the book, he has this painting, right? The painting the tennis The tennis court oath, right? You might kind of remember that kind of odd episode from French history. But it's this painting by uh, Jacques-Louis David about this French Revolution planned on a tennis court, right? But I like this little element he says about the cover of the book here. This is from the great uh, little between-the-lines John Ashbery in conversation with Ford and he asks him about the cover and Ashbery says well I was on the bus in Paris one day going past the Jardin du Luxembourg where there are tennis courts it was a beautiful day and I saw these young people in their tennis whites playing a lovely sight and I thought gee and and then there was the tennis court oath which was such a serious violent event and this gave me the idea for writing the poem and its title of course, it wasn't actually a tennis court as we know it, but more like a handball court, the original jeu de paume. Then I found some wonderful David drawings for that painting. Before he did paintings of clothed people, he drew them naked, and then after he'd do them with clothes. So there's these drawings of naked men waving their hats in the air, one of which I tried to get Wesleyan to use on the jacket, but they wouldn't. <laughs> so, I'd like to imagine that maybe someone can do a reprint with the Naked Men Waving Their Jackets in the Air for the Cover of Tennis Cardo. Probably the next collection that is really one that I really love is Rivers and Mountains, which is a few years later in 1966. So many great poems, Rivers and Mountains, and we're going to take a look at one of them. Some of the long poems in it are what are truly wonderful, but I'm not going to read those because it's going to take forever. I love Clepsidra, and I don't know how many poets give you reference to ancient water clocks in them. It's a really great longer poem. Definitely check that one out. Also, into the dust, charge air. Another great longer poem in there. Something that I think we forget about with Ashbury. but he's so good at doing doing longer poems. We're going to hit some of them later that are really longer. But let's take a look at these lacustrine cities. These lacustrine cities grew out of loathing into something forgetful, although angry with history. They are the product of an idea, that man is horrible, for instance, but this is only one example. They emerged until a tower controlled the sky and with artifice dipped back into the past for swans and tapering branches, burning until all that hate was transformed into useless love. Then you are left with an idea of yourself, and the feeling of ascending emptiness of the afternoon which must be charged to the embarrassment of others who fly by you like beacons. The night is a sentinel. Much of your time has been occupied by creative games until now, but we have all-inclusive plans for you. We had thought, for instance, of sending you to the middle of the desert, to a violent sea, or of having the closeness of the others be heir to you, pressing you back into a startled dream as sea breezes greet a child's face. But the past is always here, and you are nursing some private project. The worst is not over, yet I know you will be happy here. Because of the logic of your situation, which is something no climate can outsmart, tender and insouciant by turns, you see... You have built a mountain of something, thoughtfully pouring all your energy into this single monument whose wind is desire starching a petal, whose disappointment broke into a rainbow of tears. This poem is from. This poem is from the Double Dream of Spring. Farm implements and rutabagas in a landscape. The first of the undecoded messages read: "Puppy sits in thunder, unthought of, from that shoebox of an apartment, from livid curtains, hue a tangram emerges, a country. Meanwhile, the sea hag was relaxing on a green couch. How pleasant to spend one's vacation on La Casa de Popeye, she scratched her cleft chin's solitary hair. She remembered spinach and was going to ask Wimpy if he had bought any spinach. My love, he intercepted, the planes are decked out in thunder today, and it shall be as you wish. He scratched the part of his head under his hat. The apartment seemed to grow smaller. But what if no pleasant inspiration plunge us now to the stars, for this is my country? Suddenly they remembered how it was cheaper in the country. Wimpy was thoughtfully cutting open a number of can of spinach when the door opened and Sweepy crept in. How pleasant! But Sweepy looked morose. A note was pinned to his bib. Thunder and tears are unavailing, it read. Henceforth shall Popeye's apartment be but remembered space, toxic or salubrious, whole or scratched. Olive came hurtling through the window, its geranium scratched her long thigh. I have news, she gasped. Popeye, forced as you know to flee the country, one musty-gusty evening by the schemes of his wizened duplicate father, jealous of the apartment and all that it contains, myself and spinach in particular, heaves bolts of loving thunder at his own astonished becoming... Rupturing the pleasant arpeggio of our years, no more shall pleasant rays of the sun refresh your sense of growing old, nor the scratched tree trunks and mossy foliage, only immaculate darkness and thunder. She grabbed Sweepy. I'm taking the brat to the country. But you can't do that. He hasn't even finished his spinach, urged the sea hag, looking fearfully around at the apartment. But Olive was already out of earshot. Now the apartment succumbed to a strange new hush. "'Actually, it's quite pleasant here,' thought the sea hag. "'If this is all we need, beer from spinach, then I not mind so much. Perhaps we can invite Alice the Goon over,' she scratched. One dug pensively. But Wimpy is such a country bumpkin always burping like that. Minute at first, the thunder soon filled the apartment. It was domestic thunder, the color of spinach.' Popeye chuckled and scratched his balls. It sure was pleasant to spend a day in the country. What a a great poem. It almost seems like when you watch cartoons like that, if I think of watching an old Popeye cartoon, this sense of dread that is always kind of underneath the manic happiness of the whole thing, and he really captures that and kind of pulls it together with the melodrama that you would see in movies, right? It's wonderful. So did you notice that that was a Sestina? I don't know how many times I read that poem and many other poems of Ashbery's that were Sestina's and never even noticed it. I guess I think of Sestina's as being kind of stuffy and difficult, and I think Ashbery's one of the few people that ever really, to me, did a good job of hiding that form, that kind of awkward form, hiding it beneath. Another collection of ashberries that, to me, is really important, and I think sometimes gets overlooked, is Three Poems. And Three Poems is exactly what it sounds like. It's a book-length collection of three poems. Although to call them poems is almost not what you would expect because they're big blocks of prose text and it reads almost like a philosophy text or something if philosophers were to have a sense of humor and it's really a wonderful book obviously we can't read even a whole poem of this because they're very very long but I'd love to just give you a taste of one of these one of one section of this wonderful book so this is from The System That's the way it goes. For many weeks, you've been exploring what seemed to be a profitable way of doing. You discovered that there was a fork in the road, so first you followed what seemed to be the less promising, or at any rate, the more obvious of the two branches, until you felt you had a good idea of where it led. Then you returned to investigate the more tangled way, and for a time, its intricacies seemed to promise a more complex and therefore a more practical goal for you one that could be picked up in any number of ways, so that all its bases or applications could be thoroughly scrutinized, and in so doing you began to realize that the two branches were joined together again, farther ahead, and this place of joining was indeed the end, and that it was the very place you set out from, whose intolerable mixture of reality and fantasy had started you on the road which has now come full circle. It has been an absorbing puzzle, But in the end all the pieces fit together like a ghost story that turns out to have a perfectly rational explanation. Nothing remains but to begin living with this discovery, that is, without the hope of mentioned above. Even this is not so easy, for the reduced mode of scope must itself be nourished by a form of hope or hope that doesn't take itself seriously. One must move very fast in order to stay in the same place. As the Red Queen said, the reason being that once you have decided there is no alternative to remaining motionless, you must still learn to cope with the onrushing tide of time and all the confusing phenomena it bears in its wake, some of which perfectly resemble the unfinished but seemingly salvageable states of reality at cross-purposes with itself that first cause you to grow restless, to begin fidgeting with various impractical schemes that were in the end we have seen finally reduced to zero. Yet they cannot be banished from the system any more than physical matter can, and their nature, which is part and parcel of their existence, is to remain incomplete, clamoring for wholeness, so that now two quite other and grimmer alternatives present themselves, that of staying where you are and risking eventual discretion at the hands of those dishonest counselors of many aspects, or of being swept back by them into a past drenched in nostalgia whose sweetness burns like gall. And it is a choice that we have to make. One of the things I always loved about Three Poems, like a lot of Ashbery's longer poems, is the patience that it has. It seems to kind of drone on endlessly, and that's kind of the point And there's moments where maybe it even becomes like something you can't hear, but you have to keep pushing and it's almost work to keep reading it in some ways, but then things jump out at you that wouldn't be able to jump out at you otherwise because you're called to have lulled into a complacency, which I think replicates a lot of things in real life. A lot of things that we overhear and see and read and listen to are always just kind of a drone in the background below the surface and what jumps out is part of the beauty of it. Another really interesting project that John Ashbery did that I think we sometimes forget about is the wonderful two voice poems in As We Know. This is one of the harder Ashbery books to find, but the whole first half of the book is this one poem called Litany, which is a poem meant for two voices. And I'd like to read this little bit which, of Ashbery talking about what led him to write this poem. This is again from the, from the conversation with Mark Ford. Mark Ford asks him, How'd you get the idea of writing a long poem in two columns? Litany. One thing that suggested it was going to the premiere of a work by Elliot Carter, a duo for violin and piano. It was performed at Cooper Union on a very wide stage. The piano was at one end and the violin was at the other, and they were more or less doing different things, as is very often the case in Carter's work. Sometimes the instruments would be talking to or at each other, and sometimes just to themselves. It seemed to me a remarkably conversational or non-conversational kind of music. I thought it would be interesting to have to pay attention to two separate poems at the same time. It would be like eavesdropping on two different conversations at a cocktail party. Something that happens to us all fairly often, and therefore should have a poem written about it. We can't follow either one without neglecting the other one, or at least briefly. And I just love this idea of a poem as a conversation and having this two-voice poem. So we're going to try something here. Since I'm by myself, I'm going to have to read both parts of these poems and see if I can put them together as two voices in post production but this is a section from litany for so so someone like me of the foul. simple things Mandate like having toast or going like to church that or casts the one milk of the enchantment over the whole like, town. like having wine and it's cheese, scenery, the parents could of be the happening town kissing elegantly is of dark of knowledge, and knowledge and for all the brown line snapdragons consume the snap and and wind of fires like rage far no over the streets as they one. The casual that is, I've said it before, and no one remembers except me that from elf. my accounts. What Around given, but gifts? The air the past, stands straight up, like a tail pointed he spat time. on the flowers, and nothing directs to the present. Also, for someone like me, the time flows round again with These things I did in it. Us on our way, I wish to, linked to keep my differences damage and to retain my kinship too to the rest. Too many that is why I raise these flowers, flowers all around. Too much arbitration. They do not and the stand for all or anything fairly inequitably. They are code names. It was for the a way silence. of getting to see the world at minimal cost and, just and without as it risk. Always keeps but it getting no longer stand up. And there is to still that. the same amount the to do. The fences to remain happily among these islands on the of rather the city, plants, The formula the that once made, made sense rock few of us until so little tedious my way to run from there the and not mind finally. the pain of getting they there blow around the rest this is an opera of a small western the ghost train's fits sometimes the newly the sometimes misses the dust blow that tower of lightning high over the barren desert could have missed you meaningless syllables an unlike have any other leaching music back of sex, lore of the songs any and sagas event. the warp of knowledge Something but now it can it's can only be close. taken as itself. Strict identities Those form it, rules, build it up like what else of nerve, articulate, defiant Which of itself, further on? The passing around, seen them pass the passing left by the great in slow motion. It is they Elephants who carry news of it to other places. Painted bright colors, are they are visible, they not the of shade of a hand held Especially up to the eye, since it persists. Now that they are in dumbness, gone into between, which isn't even a negative articulation. Changes into the look of things, collapses the railing Of this terrace, I greatly admired the shirt. Held with all the potential of the visible, the acting, acting to release around into the idea. known dust under Today, the sky. Today, the wisteria is in with the Spanish minstrel, moving over the nebulous keyboard to, to serenade it all are invisible. In part, only the, the fragments are, are the metal metal again. left. The dust flows through into a cult. diagram of a room. This them. is where it all had How to take quickly. place. How quickly years pass. Around a the drum of living, the motion by which a life may be known and recognized. barriers are loaded with shipwreck flowers at the shore. A puzzling colleague stubble up to enter. Set the shirt the light, light frequently through time, the bayou outnumbering your luggage the luggage found upon the plane even the ants on the anthill if i black could plan don't remember to what a disaster been there leading out reference in scuffles with as wax an ending of all an once of at the tears and the explosion of surprises and marble we stopped as the sun closes near the rush of the sky for the elegant truth notwithstanding with in some underwear stood casual, around puddles in the darkened cement in sodium lights beyond the edicts under the present law, times and always, so dawn, thrust with a full stab of grace, nobody, nobody deserved, always the colossal deserts, valleys, and it? melting canyons. Sword under the and Svenbertine, knowing it and all but point never ridden the barriers exists in the memory of, of itself, turning like bed ice curtains later in the oyster without light. obliteration. Something I saw once reminded me. as I see it, that old evil, not so secret not free, now More on, on a journey, made to look hearing that parent. some later journey there's or a shoulder there and some high pitched half sketch shock of the a path or like this, to folds never intended the shower beyond this sight point must at some earlier time seeing like the a garter pointed to the sky and the, the trees in While some green before it's barely under the, the water mica on the front of or the barely injured it, you spells might say, out coastline a ball was found a speedboat would all drive at a distance but they it, shift in anyway. no more him round to you my see, idea, of my hat as it would be if I no were you, June, in dreams the and in raised but slowly in trayed-upon chimneys, forget line it. It's progress. almost gone. Has almost departed. Had now the of dry, you, half-seen you so pods are layered and the beating of an old man, is a clock in the background. No one sees could only how fast processes whiz we must until someday when the things dark. are better. To enjoy Who the can elicit hills these of possible ruddery spirals, the long, return shiny of all shadow that hooks over a antithesis antithesis little at the top, the stone to that sinks to the bottom of the climb aquarium, the look out all this over all that was so writing, near and is, vanity of the dishpan, the, the radio-chortling sucker the hollow to move, behemoths of a never scent shredding underwear or and ulcers alike going and in a past of no mean infection this the hedges are, are like nice, a small wall and it's of too bad that intent. one bad axe rope tell whatever needed to advertise its burying the and then car strut forth from the skies, skies, highway, away. singly and in groups the of three and four, big orange, flamingo, blue pencil, wind slams through the grail of satisfaction, satisfaction with the, roomy specs, the red discussion, and now bringing up the, sky the rear, calls who could explain it? Who could have his leaves it. are seen in only mirrors pluralism? And libraries but we get far less for our money that from I in the and the continua replies too to stop to oh, we wrong to noticing like remember so much and that we're so little allow us to survive. All are were anxious moments to big be with done with us, but the elaborate, elaborate pastry over. we adjust the wings, and darkness, yet I too and each, and was each once has captured vanished this on the way. carousel of rage. How it became a delight to think about it, and when pain and suffering and pleasure of that broke over like a wave held over for the other time, limits, and no broken trace the was game seen. Darkness no and houses have been raised. Makes it one with chance. Still, somewhere wings are being slowly lifted over and over again. The one last Ashbery collection that I really wanted to talk about was Flowchart. And we're talking much later, 1991. And I don't know why I didn't talk about Flowchart when we did our book-length poems episode, because it's one of the great book-length poems. I don't know what to say about Flowchart. It's a tour de force in a way that I can't even imagine. And I was shocked when I was looking back at Ashbery's books to see that he was 60 when he published this. Because I remember, for my poet friends and I, in the 90s, not even occurring to me that this could have been written by someone old because it was the most exciting thing going on in poetry at the time. I don't know how to describe flowchart exactly. I think you should probably just read it. But it kind of, to me, has a lot of the same pleasures of reading letters from someone that you don't know. Except as if you jumbled a huge box of correspondence written by a bunch of different people together and got all the wonderful churned up emotions and combinations and glimpses into people's lives that you would get from that. So I think the last thing I'm going to read for you here is a little selection from Flowchart. I've never really considered telling you and now... He hated doing it. He wasn't sure why. And so just as the mirthless sequel was being disinterred, a feeling of rage came over him, but also of relief, because you couldn't do it now. They're lost somewhere, out there between the trees and muck, besides all cars have them now, and the colorful glasses and telephones are there. He came for a fitting. It was proper, and in its time, But no matter what you do, someone will be malevolent about it and try to stop you, though there's no stopping them. He came for the fitting and tried it on, and it fit just like that. What a laugh. Oh yes, she laughed out of the closet. I'll be there in a minute, dear. You see how fond of him she was, and he, well, he just took it, like most things. Change, pretzels, and she thought he was so good at it kind of baked her when the last windshield whizzed by and it was all over as though in a rush, and as meat is sung and lips only slowly parted for the alphabet of night chimes to come, changing down like an immense ring of keys, so with the gale-whipped morsel notion of itself that dogs us and all humans, and we never quite get out from under it, there's always a thread of it attached to you, and when you remove that, another one though magnetized takes its place but Gora it was dumb to be in the pit with them for then the sentence but who knows what all they may have tried before what avenues exhausted before it was time to mend and really be the interloper and for all its sparks it was never considered dangerous everybody gets such ideas on occasion but here was the little shot glass of night all ready to drink and you spread out in it even before it radiates in you It doesn't matter whether or not you like the striations, because in the time it takes to consider them, they will have merged. The rich man's house becomes a kettle, the wreath in the sink turned to something else, and still the potion holds prominent, and you want to see it and to have it be talked about this way, not drool, aimless compassion. So on that night, we were almost boarded up, packed off to vacation, where? Moreover, no men heard of it, only teenage girls and male adolescents with fruited complexions and scalps who were going to make it difficult for one should an occasion arise. But a funny thing happened. None of us were around to count, all incommensurate with our duties as we should forever be and not wanting much training. The dark was like nectar that evening, rising in the mouth. You thought you had never heard so pretty a sound. Then, of course, quietism was again broached, and that soon and quite soon the pink of the salmon ignited the way of the plover's egg and the black of old scarred metal. Then how it feels relaxes one like a warm, numbing bath in her argument and yours and all of theirs. Why? Why not just consider, or better yet, just hold, hold on to them? For the speed of light is far away, and you, sooner or later, must return to a deteriorated situation, and placing your hand in the fire, say just what it means to you to be connected and over, and kiss the burning edges of the unfolded stiff card, and be unable to avoid doing anything about it, or acknowledging it when we have passed, when all is passed. So I hope you enjoyed taking this little trip with me through some of Ashbery's poetry today. I thought I'd leave you with a little interesting quote I came across from Ashbery as I was looking back through his works and through some of his interviews. So you may remember when we talked about the Ern Malley hoax back in a previous episode. If you haven't, I suggest you go back and listen to it. The great uh, hoax about the Australian poet Earn Malley in the 1940s who turned out to not be a real poet and was this whole thing constructed by some people who had a problem with modernist poetry. Uh, Ashbery liked Ern Malley very much and he was asked about in an interview and he said, well, it was actually written up in Time Magazine, the hoax that was successfully played on. I think the editor of Angry Penguins, the name of the magazine that first published the work of your non-existent modern poet. I think it was the first summer I was at Harvard as a student, and I discovered a wonderful bookstore there where I could get modern poetry, which I'd never been able to lay my hands on very much until then. And they had the original edition of the Darkening Ecliptic with the Sidney Nolan cover. I always had a taste for sort of wild experimental poetry, of which there really wasn't very much in English in America at the time, and this poet suited me very well. I agree wholeheartedly with Reeds, Sir Herbert Reeds, revised estimate of it. I just wish there were some more of his books around. Laughs. Mr. Malley, that is. And John Tranter says to him, Perhaps you could write some sequels. I think perhaps I have.